0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one stop shop for all things horror content related from interviews, reviews, and top ten lists, and well everything in between. Now we're back this week and we don't have true crime, we don't have an unsolved mystery, we don't have a cryptid, we have aliens. <laughs> Yes, the little gray men from outer space. There are countless sightings and stories throughout history. But we're going to be looking at one that took place on August 25th, 1951 in Lubbock, Texas. Yes, aliens in Texas. Who'd have thunk it? This is a weird one. There is some photographic evidence. And I say it's weird. They're all weird. When was the last time we had a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill story on here? Never? I'm going to go with never. This is the UFO sighting of Lubbock, Texas. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Now, as I mentioned, this took place on August 25th, 1951, and it was just a regular old summer night in the small sleepy town of Lubbock, Texas. That evening, a handful of scientists from Texas Technical College were hanging out in the backyard of a geology professor named Dr. W.I. Robinson. They were just chilling, drinking tea, and chatting about micrometeorites, because that's what scientists do on Saturday nights, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, apparently this gaggle of nerds, I'm sorry that was probably offensive, but I'm going to stick with it anyway, were quite the little think tank. They had a chemical engineering professor in Dr. A.G. Oberg. Why do they not have first names? Why are they all just initials anyway? Physics professor Dr. George and Dr. W.L. Ducker, head of the Petroleum Engineering Department. Now, it's because of the credentials of these people that made this story very, very interesting. These aren't some wackadoos who wash dishes for a living or deliver pizzas. No, because all those people are fucking crazy and you cannot trust them for anything because they're not doctors these people are doctors therefore they hold credibility and i really hope that the sarcasm just oozed right on through that there's a quote here from the u.s air force captain edward j rupellet and he said if a group had been handpicked to observe a ufo we could not have picked a more technically qualified group of people because they're all doctors of like engineering and shit It's important to know that Edward J. Ruppelt, this Air Force captain, served as a lead investigator for Project Blue Book, which was the official Air Force investigations into UFO sightings. After working on its precursor effort, Project Grudge, now this is around 9:20 p.m., and the university colleague saw something otherworldly in the expansive Texas sky. That thing was a V-shaped formation of about 15 to 30 bluish-green lights passing overhead. Naturally, they were stunned, but they still used their trained scientific reasoning to try to figure out why these lights were there, and what would make them go away and come back, disappear and reappear. And they did about an hour later, in a more haphazard formation. The lights, that is, not the scientists. The scientists, however, were all in agreement. They had witnessed something fantastic. But what was it? They weren't just going to jump to aliens in outer space. No, these were learned men in 1951. They believed in science and God, not aliens. The professors weren't the only credible witnesses to the mysterious bluish-green lights that night. At dusk in Albuquerque, a New Mexico man from the Atomic Energy Commission's top-secret Sandia Corporation, a man with a high-level Q security clearance, had been sitting outside with his wife. Now, according to Ruppellet, they were gazing at the night sky, commenting on how beautiful it was when both of them were startled at the sight of a huge airplane flying swiftly and silently over their home. On the aft edge of the wings, there were six to eight pairs of soft, glowing, bluish lights. An hour or so after, according to the retired rancher from Lubbock, his wife had seen something terrifying in the night sky as well, and Rupella described it this way. Just after dark, his wife had gone outdoors to take some sheets off the clothesline. He was inside the house reading the newspaper. Suddenly, his wife had rushed into the house, quote, as white as the sheet she was carrying. The reason his wife was so upset was that she had seen a large object glide swiftly and silently over the house. She said it looked like, quote, an airplane without a body. On the back edge of the wing, there were pairs of glowing bluish lights. Now, by the time Rubelt flew into Lubbock, To investigate the sightings in a late September evening, hundreds of residents had seen the lights over a period of two weeks. Of course, the government got involved, but not everyone wanted to wait for the government to start looking into the matter. After alerting local newspapers, like the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, the Texas Tech professors started their own informal investigation. In the weeks after their initial August 25th sighting, they and their friends observed the lights 12 more times. They measured the light's angles, roughly calculated their speed, and noted that they had always traveled from north to south. Armed with walkie-talkies, the scientist sleuths and their friends formed a team? Two teams? Several teams? I don't know. A bunch of people got together and split up in an attempt to measure the UFO's altitude with a little success. As the days went on, more and more Lubbock residents claimed to have seen the lights, and when the professors cross-checked these reports against what they had seen themselves and what they had recorded, many of the facts, well, they just lined up. Of course, few, if any, had recorded the phenomenon with the same level of detail as the professors, because again, doctors, incredible, intelligent, God-fearing scientists. I don't know about the God-fearing thing, I just feel like 1950s, that was the thing. Like, you were like a man of science, but also God did everything. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stereotyping here. Anywho, but while many observers often incomplete or poorly expressed recollections, there's little doubt that whatever people were seeing was something real. UFO sightings are often one-off events, but these blue-green lights were observed multiple times by hundreds of people. Think the Phoenix Lights, for example. The one I think was 1997. We covered it on this podcast at one point. Just keep that in mind. Very similar case, just, I don't know. 40 years earlier? Maybe closer to 50? I can't do math, leave me alone. So what makes this case a lot more special than all the other ones, especially around this time? Well, there was physical proof. There were black and white photos taken by a Texas Tech freshman named Carl Hart Jr. This was on August 31st, the same night an Air Force wife and her daughter claimed to have seen a UFO while driving northwest from Matador, Texas to, of course, Lubbock. Heart was apparently keeping vigil in his bedroom looking out for the infamous lights, and according to this repelled guy, it was a warm night, and his bed was pushed over next to an open window. He was looking out at the clear night sky, and had been in bed for about half an hour when he saw the formation of the lights appear in the north, cross an open patch of sky, and disappear over his house. Knowing that the lights might reappear at any moment as they had done in the past, he grabbed his loaded Kodak 35, set the lens, and shutter at f3.5, which is a pretty good uh, aperture there, and one-tenth of a second. It's pretty slow, but I guess you'd have to. It's at night, and it's dark. Anyway, I'm getting too technical with the photography here. This was 1951. It was a fucking old 35mm camera. Anyway, he took his camera and went out into the middle of the backyard. Before long, his vigil was rewarded when the lights made a second pass. He got two pictures, a third formation, went over a few minutes later, and he got three more pictures and i do see the pictures here and they are weird they look like a boomerang if a boomerang had polka dots on it the best way to describe that i think i would know i think i'm an author hmm yeah that's right Mm -hmm. mm-hmm hoity-toity mr man who thinks he's an author over here yes anyway these hotly debated images which show a cluster of dim lights in a v formation moving through the sky are the only visual representation of what hundreds are now claiming that they saw as Ruppelt began his formal investigation, he found that the lights had affected all who had seen them, including a hundred-year-old man from La Mesa who had witnessed them with his wife. Quote, he broke off his story of the lights and launched into his background as a native Texan with range wars, Indians, and stagecoaches under his belt. Okay. Ruppelt recalled of their interview, quote, what he was trying to point out was that despite the range wars, Indians, and stagecoaches, he had been scared. His wife had been scared too. I guess that makes a degree of sense. If you've seen a whole lot of shit and you're hundred years old, you've lived through wars, you've lived through civil wars, you've lived through all sorts of different shit, then yeah, if something scares you at a hundred, it must be pretty uh, freaky, I guess. A little weird. Unsettling, I guess would be some of the words that you could use. I don't know why I'm doing this voice. The old La Mesa man had suggested that the lights were actually plover birds, a theory which repelled would lend some credence. But just like many people Ruppelt interviewed, the old man admitted he and his wife had been looking for the lights after reading about them in the paper. This was a common trend tying together many of the witnesses. Quote, one point of interest was that very few claimed to have seen the lights before reading the professor's story in the paper. But this could get back to the old question. Do people look up if they have no reason to? It's an interesting point. The truth is out there. You just have to look for it. I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here. When I'm walking anywhere, my eyes are usually pointed down so I don't step in something. But at night, there is something that draws me to the night sky. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I can't see the ground. So if I'm going to step in dog shit, I'm going to step in dog shit because I'm not going to see it because I can't see it at night. So I look up. I don't know why. Every once in a while, I catch a bat or something flying through the air. And some stars and big old moons, of course. Maybe I'm hoping that I do find something in the sky. Despite looking up, you never know what you might see if you're just looking in the right place at the right time. So in the end, what did all these people witness? In the report on unidentified flying objects, rubbled by all accounts, an honorable and fair man who oversaw what many described as the golden age of the government's official UFO investigations offers a strangely evasive explanation. Quote. I thought that the professor's lights might have been some kind of birds reflecting the light from mercury vapors and streetlights, but I was wrong. They weren't birds. They weren't refracting light. They weren't spaceships. The lights that the professors saw have been positively identified, very commonplace, and an easily explainable natural phenomena. I can't divulge exactly way the answer was found because it's an interesting story of how scientists set up a complete instrumentation to track down the lights telling the story would lead to his identity and in exchange for his story i promised the man complete anonymity with the most important phase of the lubbock lights solved the sightings by the professors the other phases become only good ufo reports and so to this day the lubbock lights remains unsolved However, it does persist in the memory of many old Texans from that spot of land in the deep south, I guess you could say. Now, Dr. Monty L. Monroe, they have a first name. Hey, they're not just initials. Told the Texas Tech University magazine, Texas Highways magazine, quote, mention the event and everyone has an opinion. Some believe the bright semicircular so-called string of beads crossed the sky at a great speed, high in the stratosphere. Few agree with the streetlight-illuminated migratory duck-bellies theory ventured at the time by skeptics on the Air Force. According to the island of Dr. Monroe, I mean, according to Monroe, the professors and other witnesses, tired of explaining themselves and what they saw, almost totally ceased giving interviews by the 1970s. In a rare, informal interview, more than 40 years after the sightings, Carl Hart Jr. reportedly told author and UFO researcher Kevin D. Randall, he still has no idea what he photographed, that pleasant august night many moons ago but like hundreds of others in and around lubbock that strange texas summer he saw something he would never forget so what do you think they saw in that sleepy little town in texas was it just some lights refracting off some ducks or geese was it a secret ufo military base in the sky was it an experimental spacecraft from the United States government itself. Was it weather balloons? Was it flares? Was it something we haven't thought of? Was it Photoshop back in 1951 with those pictures? Was it mass hysteria? I don't know. What I can say is they look a lot like the Phoenix lights. The shape. The illumination. Everything kind of screams. Yeah, it's sort of similar. And Phoenix isn't that far from Texas? They're both on that same plane that horizontal plane down there in the united states i guess i don't know the geography is kind of eluding me i'm not super familiar with the united states geography but it can't be that far they're both deserty anyway and that's where all the good ufo sightings come from am i just rambling now to fill time maybe but i'm also very interested in this i've mentioned before that i think i may have spotted a ufo at one point in time in my life i was driving home this was about 10 years ago maybe 12 now and it was fairly late it was quite dark and I was on a suburb of Toronto, which is a fairly populated area. And there's a lot of light pollution that goes up into the sky. And you can't always see the stars or anything, which is why this stood out. I remember just kind of glancing up just underneath the roof of my car. You know, you kind of lean forward and you can see a little bit more of the sky. I did that. And I don't know why I did that. I was just drawn to it. And in the sky were three lights, triangular shaped. I believe they're all part of the same craft. It didn't look like an airplane, though. And I grew up three minutes from the airport, underneath a flight path. I was very familiar with what airplanes looked like. And I'd never seen one in that part of the sky before, either. I'd driven that route hundreds of times, as it was my girlfriend's house at the time. And on the way home, there and back, same route every single time. And I just remember looking up and being like, that's strange. That's, That's very, very strange. And then I got like a chill. And I don't remember why I got a chill. I may have just spooked myself, which I do quite often. Oddly enough, so I want to say yes, I saw a UFO. And I guess in my personal opinion, it was a UFO because I couldn't identify it. And literally, it was an unidentified flying object. To me, it could have just been a regular old airplane. Who knows? I don't. But in my opinion, UFO, not necessarily alien in nature, but it was unidentified and it was flying and it was an object. So let me know on Facebook, because that seems to be the most popular place right now. So hit up the Facebook page at Horror Shots on Facebook. And let me know if you've ever had an interaction or an encounter with a UFO or maybe aliens in general or the men in black. Shh, don't say that too loud though. Let me know what you think. Are these things real? Are we alone in the universe? Or are there many, many other species out there just kind of watching us being like, yeah, you guys are fucking idiots. God, these people, these things down there, that blue one, that blue rock, God, avoid them. It's like the Florida of the universe. Just don't go there. Anyway, that's going to do it for me this week. My name is Casey, and this is the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you do like what you hear, please, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify. You can do so on your mobile app. And if you do, hit me up on any social medias coming up in a minute, and I'll give you a shout-out on the show. Furthermore, you can also leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And again, any five-star reviews do get read out on the show, so it's a great way to get a shout-out there as well. I mentioned the Facebook page. Do hit that up at any point. You want and leave any notes on the page that you want as well. Stories, anecdotes. If you want to talk, let me know. I'm always ears for interesting stories. That's at Horror Shots on Facebook. Twitter is still a thing at Horror Shots Prod, as in production, and Instagram at Ominous Origins Pod. So until next time.